And when I look back to my first horse, for example, Ali, she was my little ballerina. She was amazing. She taught me so much. <laughs> and she was actually the horse that gave me the confidence in the ring. She was my first horse that I did nationals with here. And she just took me in and she literally took me by the hand and she was like, it's okay, mom, we've got this. And she just would go do, 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 around and just do such a nice, pretty test. And I felt so confident on her. And so I guess she was probably, now I'm thinking about it, she was actually the one that really installed that calmness and that security and safety that I felt in the ring because I didn't ever have a bad experience with her. So she just was like, it's fine, we've got this. This is The Metal Set. Hi, this is Dawn, an ultra cyclist and sports PR specialist. And I'm Afshan, an endurance athlete and journalist. And we're on a quest to bring you stories of tenacity, courage, and metal. From athletes in the Middle East and beyond. Hi guys, Afshan here. Remember the first time you heard about the sport dressage? Did you have to Google it? Or are you reaching for your phone right now? You're not alone. Even in a country where we are based, the UAE, and a region where equestrian traditions date back centuries. Dressage, and we've just dropped a hint here, is only just growing in popularity. So what do you find when you Google dressage? A captivating equestrian art form, a meticulously orchestrated dance that unfolds gracefully between rider and her horse, a true synergy of kindred spirits. In the UAE, dressage is experiencing a surge in popularity, marked by a remarkable 120% increase in rider registrations over the past year, with 20% of them being Emirati participants. Today, we are joined by our guest Natalie Lancaster, an accomplished equestrian who has proudly represented the UAE alongside her four-legged companion, Cash Dubai, at the 19th Asian Games this September. Their performance took them all the way to the freestyle dressage qualifying round of the competition. For Natalie, horse riding is a familial legacy. And upon moving to the UAE, dressage became everything from a competitive outlet to therapy. In this sport, where proficiency deepens with age and experience, Natalie shares insights into her profound connection with her horses and their welfare and sports. The collaborative training journey the honor of representing the UAE internationally, her remarkable performance at the Asian Games, and the promising trajectory of dressage in the Emirates. For cyclists like us, accustomed to only grappling with bike mechanicals, this conversation offered us a unique perspective in the delicate partnership in equestrian sports. We hope you enjoy. Hi, Natalie. We're very happy to have you on the show. How are you today? Good. Thank you so much for having me. Really good to, to be on with you guys. So first off, we want to say congratulations yes. on making it to the individual finals at the recent Asian Games. Very, yeah. very cool. You were representing the UAE for the first time. How was the overall experience? Oh, it was it was amazing. Uh, really, it was there was such a build up to it. It was years and years of preparation, mentally, physically, going through all of the processes, getting there. Uh, it was a huge journey for ourselves and for the horses. And then, yeah, just getting there and just trying to take it all in, soak in the environment, live every single second, enjoy it and perform to our best ability. So it just all comes down to this sort of crunch time and really just trying to focus and 
keep the um, everything that you've learned over the years, basically, and just put it all into that one moment. And yeah, it was just, it was such an amazing experience and really nice to be able to go with a team. It, we were the first UAE team to ever represent dressage at the Asian Games. So that was really nice going with everyone and having that support and having everyone around us. So yeah, just everything was an amazing experience. And I'm really proud of all of the teammates of how far everyone got. And yeah, super, super happy to have got through to the finals. And I couldn't, couldn't have been happy with how mm. it went. So now you're preparing, and we were talking about this a little earlier before we started recording, yeah. that you are preparing for your next event, which is yeah. in December. But yes. before all of that, we were also discussing how not a lot of people know what dressage is, yeah. Yeah. but it is growing in popularity because the latest figures show that there have been a 120% jump in registered riders just last year. Yeah. So can you give us a little idea about what dressage actually is? Yeah. So, I mean... I think a lot of people know about horses. They've heard of horse racing, endurance, show jumping. So dressage is basically, it's the foundation of all of the equestrian sports. It's basically like a pyramid system. Uh, we train the horses up as they go up through the disciplines and the levels and we get, it gets way more difficult, obviously. But for the, across all, all of the sports, the horses need to have some basic training, discipline, flexibility, stamina, strength. And that's basically what, what dressage is. And we just have to refine it. And then the actual competition, um, it's a, a test that we're pre-given. You have to learn the floor routine. And then everyone rides the same test and you get judged by, depends on, on the show, but in, in an international judge, we have five judges and they cover around the arena and they basically judge the choreography and the routine for each of the horses. And then you're marked in a percentage. So it's, yeah, I mean, it, it is the foundation of all equestrian sports. We just really refine the movements and it goes up levels and difficulty. So yeah, it's a highly competitive sport. It takes a lot, a lot of training to get a horse up through the levels, a lot of dedication. Yeah, there's no shortcuts, no shortcuts at all in this sport. You can't just buy your way to the top. You can't just hope. You can't go on luck or a whim or anything. It's, it's sheer training, discipline, determination and hard work. It really is. <laughs> What is one of the biggest misconceptions, though, in this sport? That it's easy. I'm pretty sure there are quite a few, but what's that it's one easy. of the biggest ones? That it's ones? easy <laughs> and you can shortcut to the top. You can't. It's not easy. There's nothing easy about the sport. It's really, really difficult. Yeah, the level of athleticism for the horses and for the riders. And there's so many lessons. I mean, it's a never-ending lesson. Honestly, I don't think even the the top top rider in the in the world they still have lessons every day. Everyone still has a trainer. It's amazing. The trainers have trainers have trainers have trainers. <laughs> it's just never ending. And um, people think it's easy because it's our job to make it look easy. You're not supposed to see the aids that we're giving the horse. So the mm -hmm. level of the collection, and you're not supposed to see anything we're doing. So it, if it looks easy, it means we've done it well so that's good <laughs> um but that is definitely one of it the, looks very of, graceful exactly that's the yeah. aim of the game so <laughs> i'm just reminded as we're speaking about what is dressage there's this video on <laughs> i don't know if you've seen it like a cat who grew up in a horse stables <laughs> oh, the way they were walking like dressage horses <laughs> <laughs> just, <laughs> yeah which is so oh. cute but yeah it, to Afshan's point, it looks so completely graceful mm -hmm. and it would be, it's understandable that it, the misconception that it is easy because for something to look so effortless, I can just imagine, yeah, like as I you said, the sheer amount of work. Compare it to a ballerina or a gymnast or 
where when you look mm. from the outside, you don't see any of the what they're doing, you know, I mean, but I'm sure if we try yeah, to do the any of, that, of it, exactly, exactly. The strength and <laughs> yeah. I, I, I yeah. couldn't do it. So, yeah. but I guess you could compare it to that <laughs> in the sport as a ballerina or a gymnast or something where it's a, a dance. A, yeah. And anything like that, where it's supposed to look from the outside, effortless and smooth and rhythmic and yeah. But it's it's not. There's a lot going on behind the scenes, yeah. <laughs> holding it all together. I'm someone who just loves to wing it, <laughs> which it's is not, not really ideal. But has it wouldn't be the sport for you. Yeah, no, I couldn't. <laughs> Especially with a horse, I don't think you can wing it. <laughs> no, but I mean, most sports we look at. You know, for us, it's recycling gear or other various sports equipment. But equestrian mm -hmm. sports, there's obviously the horse, yeah, <laughs> which yeah. is a sentient being. Yeah. How do you bond with the horse as well? Because yeah. they're can... so beautiful and graceful. But as, oh. as, as I was just saying, the last time I went horse riding, there were two horses that didn't like each other because they have these personalities, right? Exactly. <laughs> How no, do you bond all, with them? They're all so individual. And it's like a person. You're not going to be friends with every single person you meet. So you're not going to like certain traits from someone or you're going to absolutely adore everything about someone else, you know? So it, they are very, very individual. And you, um, you find as you go through your career, you'll find traits that you um, like in horses and that you dislike. And some people would prefer to go for a more energetic horse. Some people would like to go for a quiet a horse. Some people can deal with certain types of energy, whereas others can't. Also, the horse feels our energy. So we call it something called a hot bottom. So mm -hmm. some people get on a horse and they can just make a horse wired and wild. <laughs> and it's, yeah, other people can sit on, they can be very calming for horses. So it really depends on, on you as a person and on the horse and the connection. But in general, it can take years to build up a connection and a bond and that level of trust as well with the horses, because at the end of the day, they need to trust us completely. They're in a completely mm -hmm. alien environment for them. I mean, naturally they're running in a herd in the wild and we're taking them as a single horse and with a rider on top and we're taking them to a new environment where it's unnatural. I mean, there's, there's music, there's speakers, yeah. there's flags, there's, it's, it's not a natural environment for them. So they need to learn to have this level of trust in us as a rider. So, I mean, we couldn't just go and get on a horse not knowing it and that horse be able to trust us mm -hmm. totally. So you do have to, I mean, mm -hmm. we ride our horses every day. We do work on the ground with them. We're in the stable with them. We're grooming them. We develop a, a, a bond with them and they're like people to me. I mean, they're like my children. So, mm. yeah, I mean, we, we do over, over the years and we have a breeding program, myself and my husband. So our horses are with us from birth and we go through everything with them. The first introduction to riding, the first time they go to competitions, their trust in us loading them into a trailer to take them somewhere, their trust in us for the dentist to come and do their teeth, for the farrier to come and do their hooves. I mean, it's everything. It's, it's their entire life and it's, it's, it's all based on trust. For me, that's major. That's, um, I have to have that connection with my horses. And then it really shows. That's when you get the harmony in the test. That's when, mm. from the outside, that's when it looks effortless because you, you have this connection with the horse and between the rider and the horse. And that's hopefully what it all comes down to in the, at the test. You started riding at the age of three. So you've been doing it from a very, very young age. Yeah. But when did that turn into something that you wanted to take further and also compete in? And how did you find the different disciplines and then hone it down to, yeah. okay, dressage is yeah. something that I would I mean, like to continue? I've grown with. up around horses. I had the first few years of my life in Saudi, not with horses. Um, and then when I moved back to okay. the UK at three, we moved back next door to my grandparents and my grandmother was a dressage rider. 
So we've always had horses at home. I was always sitting on her big horses and wanting to ride them. And we had a few ponies. And yeah, so I, I was always around them. And then as a child, from the age of three growing up, I went to boarding school. So we'd ride at the weekends and come home um, and in the school holidays. And I was obviously doing more. I wasn't just doing dressage. My grandmother was a dressage rider, but I liked to do jumping and eventing and cross country and the fun stuff that kids want to do, gymkhanas. And I'd go to pony club camp every summer. Yeah. I mean, we were just all, always with our ponies. We'd go up on the mountains. I live in a beautiful, beautiful rural area in Shropshire. And we have these really, really nice mountains that we can go up on. So yeah, I, we've always been around them, but I was more into everything. I wasn't just, just specialized in dressage. And then I finished school uh, and I moved to Dubai. So I'd sort of gone out of horses a little bit, I guess, when I was doing my GCSEs, so around about 15. And then mm -hmm. adult life started and I got a job and then I moved to Dubai. And then I'd been here a couple of years. I had an, an online pet shop that I started here. So I've always stayed with animals. When was um, this? This was when I moved to Dubai, I guess 2010, I think I moved here. I never know when I've moved here. I think, I think 20, 2010, okay. yeah. Maybe yeah. 13 years. Yes, I started a, a pet supplies company. And then I saw an advert for an ex-flat race horse that was for sale. So I went and tried it in Al Rawaya. And from then on, it was just back into the horses. I was, I was back in. Um, he was a bit of a naughty horse, <laughs> a bit wild. But yeah, <laughs> he, he got me into it. And then I met my husband in 2015. He was a show jumping rider for the UAE team. He just um, got silver at the last Asian Games. So that was amazing. And then, yeah, I guess we, we started DXP Horses and our breeding, breeding program there. And then I really, really honed in on dressage. I got a very nice horse mm -hmm. in 2015. And I did my first um, national season here in the UAE then. So then from then on, it's just boomed. And I've had two children since then. So I've had a couple of slower seasons. And then about two years ago, we started on mm -hmm. the international scene um, of traveling to Europe in the summer months, which is a whole nother ballgame. <laughs> That's, um, I mean, it's, uh, it's a, a huge, a huge market in Europe and the competition, the level of competition there is very high. So I like it. I like feeling the buzz of the competition and I don't get nervous. I don't know why. <laughs> I'm not sure. I'm very, I have a lot of trust and faith in my trainer, Morgan. So when she's next to me, I'm just like, we'll be fine. <laughs> I've got a really good team behind mm. me. The grooms that help look after the horses with me, they travel with me in the summer as well. So we have our routine that sort of stays with me and with the horses. And so we're doing the same mm. thing everywhere, whether it's in Europe or China or Dubai or wherever we go. We try to keep the routine as well the same for the horses. So the feeding, the turnout, the grooming, the, everything stays the same and the people that are around them. So, yeah. That's, yeah. um, <laughs> I guess a lack of consistency and routine really messes with everyone, yeah. <laughs> including the horses in particular. No, really, really, yeah, the they traveling. are. They're very sensitive. You mentioned how you got into dressage and that you and your husband have a, a breathing program now, but how, like, say, for example, me, I won't because I like doing yeah. it. <laughs> I don't have the time, but say someone's listening and they are really interested in getting into dressage or a similar yeah. equestrian sport in the UAE. Mm -hmm. What's the starting point for that? I get, well, there are a few riding schools around. So the stable where I am, Dubai Polo and Equestrian Club, there's a, a riding school that you go through. I guess you go through the levels. I don't really know as an adult how you would get into it because it's like a, 
I feel like I was born with, born with it. And I'm sure mm-hmm. it's the same as for someone who's a cyclist or a swimmer or something when you've yeah. just gone into it as a childhood. Mm-hmm. So I sometimes look at adults and I think, oh my gosh, how are you going to learn to ride now as an adult with a big yeah. body to contend with and learn? It's like me starting ballet. I'm not sure I could just do it now, but if I started as a three-year-old. But yeah, I mean, you would start in riding school and go up through the levels. And then I guess you find what discipline you're, you're best at. So some people will go into jumping, some people will go into dressage, others like endurance. Some people would become a jockey. So yeah, I, you just find what you're talented at. I like to jump as well on some of my husband's show jumpers. I'm not brave enough to do what he does, mm. but I love to do it at home. And it's really <laughs> good for me as a rider to ride a different style of horse and learn a different discipline. And yeah, it's, it's good to mix it up. But to get into the sport, it would be through a riding school and you, you'd go through the levels as in mm. any other sport where you have to build on your basics. And then, yeah, you just develop into whichever area you would um, you'd naturally gifted at, I guess. So if you're going through it, you know, as you mentioned, you got into it quite young. And if you're going through the the ranks and the, the processes and learning alongside the horse mm-hmm. and rising the ranks in terms of abilities, do you then have to find a team or a sponsor to continue to an elite level? How does that work I mean, for people who are kind of coming up the ranks? I guess if you want to be a professional rider... If you're not fortunate enough to, because horses are expensive, to buy them, to maintain them, to look after them, mm-hmm. even to enter into the competitions, it's expensive. And unfortunately, there's not that mm-hmm. much money in dressage. So your prize money never really covers any of your expenses. It's more of a hobby sport. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not, not so much. Mm-hmm. So if you want to go into it professionally, I, I think you'd have to ride for a stable or for a sponsor. There are a lot of stables out there that... Um, own horses or they would sponsor a rider with a horse because they want their name within the sport Mm -hmm. but yeah i mean it's definitely it's an expensive uh, um, hobby (laughs) sport (laughs) it's it's not so much um (laughs) unless you're doing it on a on a professional level it's um yeah it's it's difficult to to get to the top that's why it's it's very elite i would say the amount of riders Mm. at the top it's it's small but yeah, it's, yeah. it's great. I mean, there are, you can also compete as an amateur. There's so many levels as, as you come down and mm. the starting levels and you can stay there. I mean, I know, I know so many people, my grandmother, she never got past medium level, which for me, it was my starting level, but it was where she, where she was comfortable with it, what she could do, what her horse could do. And she was happy. That was, she was fine with that level. She um, enjoyed it. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. And it is all about that because as you go through the levels, there's more stress, there's more pressure. And some people, they can't take it. It's, and then it doesn't become enjoyable. And then mm. you'd have to think, why are we doing this? We're, we're supposed to be enjoying ourselves. So yeah, I think to keep the enjoyment, you just stay at the level that you want to be at. I'm a bit more competitive. And as I said, I don't really get the nerves of going to the bigger competitions. I felt no difference at the Asian Games as I did to a national competition here. I really, I feel quite lucky and blessed in that sense, because I do see other people that I mean, some people don't sleep for a week before a competition and they can't eat and they're mm. vomiting from nerves. And I'm thinking, how then can they stay focused in, in the arena at that crunch time? But yeah, no, I, I, I feel really relaxed in there. And I think it's just because it's what I'm supposed to be doing. It's my calling in life. <laughs> how? Uh, th- yeah, that's amazing. I mean, just on that, though, is that something you've practiced or is it just no. really innate for you to yeah. feel very yeah. calm? I, yeah, I, I, I've never <laughs> felt... I mean, maybe before at the beginning of my career and my first international for sure, because I had no idea. There's so many unwritten protocols Mm. when you go to a competition. Luckily, I went with my trainer, Morgan, who is very, very experienced. 
So she sort of held my hand and I just sort of went along with it. And I was like, okay, well, that's fine. And then once you've done it once, you've learned the process. And mm. um, yeah. So no, I think just by nature, I don't really um, feel the nerves and aspect. And I just really, I really enjoy it. So I think that's also mm. something. And I'm lucky enough to write for myself, not for a sponsor, or it's not, mm. um, I'm not working for someone else. So I think that also removes so some of the pressure. So you don't have that pressure. Yeah. Because I mean, yeah. if it all goes wrong, it's just on me, really. It's sort of like, oh, damn, mm -hmm. <laughs> next time we'll get them. Um, whereas <laughs> other people, I mean, if someone's bought them a horse or they're, you know, it's, it, it's a lot more pressure. They need to perform. And if they're not getting the results, mm -hmm. the sponsor wants to know why they're not getting the results. And then it's on the rider a little mm -hmm. bit more. So that's also probably why is I don't have the pressure of a sponsor or an employer. I think uh, part of that calmness that you're talking about probably is also transferred from your horse because you have that sort of relationship and partnership yeah. with the horse, right? Absolutely. Um, I mean, there are you... times probably when, when you go in and you're not, you don't have that good, good feeling. Either your warm-up wasn't good or the horse is reacting badly because obviously we compete young horses and sometimes the environment's too much for them. And then that can get to you because you're a bit out of control. <laughs> if the horse is really reacting on something and they're spooking across the arena and the whole test has just gone wrong, your brain can get a little bit fuzzy. You're just like, okay, 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 we need to focus mm -hmm. and we just need to continue. And you don't want to just stop because you're also educating the horses. So you have to sort of continue mm -hmm. and just get through it. Whereas everything in your head is just saying, just, I just want to go. I just want to go. I just want to go. Just, just let's just get back to safety and uh, let the horse calm down. But then in your head, you're thinking, no, because the horse needs to learn. Next time this happens, they need to refocus and get back on with the test. So yeah, there are times, I guess, that the, the horse's nerves do affect us. And yeah. So tell us a little bit about that. I mean, of course, you have to work. For me, in my head, I'm like, you have to compromise with the horse, not the yeah. other way around. But what yeah. you're telling us is that you're now teaching the horse to yeah. kind of work with you. Yeah. So in the years that you've worked with all these horses, tell us a little bit about how you've worked with their personalities and especially with your current horse, Cash Dubai, yeah. who yeah. you also took to the Asian Games. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, all of the horses throughout my career, and I can thank them all for what they've given to me and what they've taught me individually, because they all bring something to the table. And I couldn't have started my career with cash, for example, because what I've learned from my previous horses has got me to this point now, and I wouldn't have had enough knowledge to have ridden him successfully. So I guess there is a progression level. And when I look back to my first horse, for example, Ali, she was my little ballerina. She was amazing. She taught me so much. <laughs> and she was actually the horse that gave me the confidence in the ring. She was my first horse I did nationals with here. And she just took me in and she literally took me by the hand and she was like, it's okay, mom, we've got this. And she just would go do, do, do around and just do such a nice, pretty test. And I felt so confident on her. And so I guess she was probably, now I'm thinking about it, she was actually the one that really installed that calmness and that security and safety that I felt in the ring because I didn't ever have a bad experience with her. So she just was like, it's fine, we've got this. So with her, she, she probably brought the level of confidence. And then my next horse was a more difficult ride. She was called Viva, another girl. And she taught me how to, how to work with her difficulties and her differences. And she was a very, very strong-headed mare, very. So I learned patience <laughs> and I learned ways to work with her and around. And then I got my next two horses was Echo and First. And they took me to the international level. So 
Yeah. I mean, they've all taught me, they've all taught me so much, but there definitely is a progression. And when I look back through the type of horses I've been through and where they've taken me and what I've learned from each one, it's definitely got me to the place that I am today. And it's taught me how to deal with um, horses in different situations and with different personality traits and what they're scared of. And some horses might be terrified of the flag that's next to the arena. Another horse says a bomb could go off here and there's just nothing. So you really do have to read the situation and you can feel on the horse if they're tensing up or if they're looking at something or if they're reacting. And you have to learn to not react to it, but to continue and to say, it's okay. I see mm -hmm. it too. I see the flag. I see it's scary. It's wicked whipping in the wind and it's, it's an unusual noise, but it's fine. We carry on. We don't need to worry about that. So yeah, you just have to have to teach them how to, to deal with things, but also we have to learn so much from the horse and we have to read all of their signs and their signals and they don't speak. Um, so we have to learn to read their body language and really be in tune with them. But I guess that's what makes it all so harmonious with horses because it's all mm -hmm. unspoken, unwritten. It's just two souls that have got this bond and two bodies that can read each other and the, the energies. So, yeah, it's, uh, it, it, it makes me happy when I talk about it. <laughs> mm. And since you have to build this teamwork between you and the horses that you perform with, is it true that the more mature you are in the sport, unlike a lot of other sports where you start really young and you're performing yeah. the best when you're younger, yeah. in this sport, the more mature you are, the better you perform as well? I think it's just the experiences you gain over time. I mean, yeah, mm -hmm. if you look at the level of the top riders, they're not all very young. I mean, Morgan, my trainer is, she's only 30 or 31. She just turned, but she did the Olympics at 18, 19, I think. She's very young. Wow. So she's just had so much experience. She obviously was very high level at a young age. She, she was amazing. But most people have gone through their career. So yeah, it's not um, a super young age that people at the top sports, I mean, if you look at the Olympics, we still have 50, 60 year olds riding. It's, um, mm -hmm. yeah, I think it's just the experiences that you can gain over time and what you can learn. Yeah. But it is, it's very different to other sports. Now you've mentioned it because usually most people are in their prime at 20, 30, 40. Yeah. And that's when you're performing best and then you start to decline. But no, with horses, and that's really nice actually to have that as a career that it hasn't really got a sell by date. You can keep going as long as you stay fit and healthy and active. You can keep going. I mean, my grandmother rode until she was 70 something. So nice. yeah, you can keep going. So I'll, I'll do that hopefully. <laughs> I have a question about training, but before yeah. I get into that, I wanted to ask something in relation to the to the personalities of horses. Yeah. Sometimes you meet someone and you just don't gel. Yeah. Yep. For whatever reason, you might have a gut feeling about this particular person or their personality just doesn't really match with yours yep. at all. And that's okay. Have you had that experience yep. where yep. there's been a horse and you just like, no, this isn't going to work. You almost have like a, a brain block with them and you just think, no, I can't get through. To there's, there's just something missing in the connection. And maybe if you gave it more time or but for example, if you're trying horses, if you go to buy another horse, you you go and you, you ride the horses, you try them. Sometimes you can get on and within seconds you can get off. You're like, nope, you just don't feel that energy with them. You just know. And this happened mm. with Ash. I only got him in January this year and I was trying some horses and I'd gone with my trainer and we were sort of trying, no, oh, this one's nice. I'll try a little bit more. Nope, not for me. Not for me. I got on cash. Within 10 seconds, I looked at her. I went, yep, this is the one. I just felt it. Our, <laughs> our, our energies matched. He was exactly what I needed for this point of the journey that I'm in. 
he's an older horse he's more experienced and he's really he was going to take me to the to the next level so he was exactly what i was looking for but yeah you you come across and i guess it's it's the same as people it's our souls it's our energy and Mm. sometimes you just don't match and it can be a very different i mean the rider next to me could get on the same horse and absolutely love it so it's really is Mm. just our energy match and what we look for and yeah beyond the athleticism it's the intuition that you're really training yeah. as well which is yeah. Nice. yeah interesting just yeah. just another question to follow up on that is that the only prerequisite to uh performing with that particular horse or do you have to look at other factors yeah i mean before they, they, you decide what horse you're gonna yeah i for me the bonds and the relationship that i have with the horse is um it's really high up on priority list obviously movement wise they need to have the natural ability to be able to do these movements because we take their natural gait so they have walk trot and canter that's what they naturally do and we train and enhance the levels of that so we develop the trot into the trot that we need it's got more collection more cadence more power more hold more lift so then in the test, then we start adding movements into that. So they need to have a natural ability. You can't take a horse that doesn't have the natural ability and expect it to do Grand Prix. It wouldn't be fair. It'd be like breaking my legs into a split. It's just, if I'm not naturally gifted at it, then, but that horse might be better for a lower level or it might be better for a different discipline or, Mm -hmm. so yeah, I mean, definitely you need to, for me, top priority is the connection that I have with the horse, natural ability for movements, natural ability for learning, because also you can have the most naturally gifted horse that just doesn't want to do it. And (laughs) they're not going to, you cannot make a horse do something they don't want to do. So that's another thing they have to want to do it. They have to have this, I mean, they need to be willing to work, um, willing to learn. Mm. Um, So it's really about, about teamwork and I think it all does come back to that. They need to enjoy their job. You also see a lot of talented horses that are sour and they're not enjoying it. They'll do it. They'll do it, but they're not Aww. happy. And you can you can tell. And then it doesn't create the image of harmony. So mm. you can tell. It will all it will all eventually you'll, it comes out. You know, it, it's if a horse is really unhappy in the training, it won't perform in the ring, and you can see it. Yeah. Mm. We're gonna get into the international competitions, but yeah. before we do that. Talk us through what typical on-season training looks like with the horse. What, like, yeah. what exactly do you yeah. do? So a, a sort of a daily routine. We ride them not every day. Uh, generally with my sort of competition level horses, I do three days on, one day off. So the off day will be either totally off where they just go in the field and they don't see us. <laughs> they have just a, a day off from us or they get lunch, which is free riding. So there's no one on them, mm-hmm. but we exercise and we put a back stretcher on just to let them sort of move freely and feel within their body. And then the three days of training, it really depends on the level of the horse and the age and what I'm working on and what we're building up to. So, I mean, if we've got a competition coming up, I'll work more on what we need to perform in the, in the test. In the in-between times, I like to go back to basics. I can spend hours and hours and hours on basic work. Luckily, I don't get bored. I mean, some people Mm. just like to play with the higher level movements, but I'm perfectly happy doing basic work because it shows in the higher level. If you get your basics correct and then the training is the foundation level, it's like a a triangle system. You have to have your foundations correct. Otherwise, it doesn't work when you get to the the higher level movements. So yeah, really, it really depends on what we're sort of building up to. If we're mid-season and in the middle of the internationals, we are asking for a bit more. We need to keep their condition up, their stamina. They need to be fit. I need to be fit. Mm-hmm. Um, <laughs> you need to not be out of breath in the middle of the test. You can't be sweating and puce mm. in the face. And 
everything needs yeah we need to be at our best athletically and mentally and we need to feel good you also don't want to make the muscles sore it's the same with us if we really push ourselves Mm. in the gym we can get fatigued and sore they do as well i mean we're asking them to work big muscle groups Mm -hmm. so yeah i mean again it's about feeling the horse you need to be able to um to read if they're tired that day just don't push them it's okay you know we can we we can train again tomorrow and that's also i think um something that you learn with with time is um being able to trust your own intuition with with things like that and if you've Mm. got in your head oh we're going to work on this today but then you get on the horse and the horse just doesn't feel it today same as us i mean some days especially with our female horses they have uh, menstrual cycles like us and Mm -hmm. they feel tired and they're grumpy and they don't want to do it someday. So we need to respect them as well. And if they're giving us obvious signs that they don't want to be doing it that day or they're tired or they're sore, we have to respect that. And we say, you know what? We'll just go for a walk. Let's go. Let's just go and hang out for a little bit. (laughs) Big fan of walking. I'm a big fan of walking. (laughs) But you mentioned your individual training as well, cross training for you. What do you need to do off the horse? Yeah, I mean, we need to to build that strength and stamina. And strong, um, I do strength training. I started about a year ago, really taking it a bit more seriously. But we need to be fit. Riding the horses keeps you fit. It's cardio. Mm-hmm. It's uh, it's not easy. I mean, usually in a normal season, I'm riding between four and six horses a day, which in itself is five or six hours of cardio. Mm-hmm. So that keeps us fit. Mm-hmm. Um, and then aside from that, we need to stay strong in our body, symmetrical. Everything needs to be very we can't be one-sided and we all naturally are. I mean, I've got a weak right Mm. hip, which affects my right leg, which affects the movements Mm. of the horse. So all of my horses have the same issue, which comes from me. So I have to fix that. That's my (laughs) job. It's not, it's not fair for me to get on with my dodgy hip and expect the horse to (laughs) to compensate for me. So I have to fix it. So yeah, strength training, one-legged stuff. I'm not sure if terminology, it slipped my, slipped my mind now, but you know, whether you're single leg lunges and things where you can separate your pelvic Mm -hmm. part because it's very um, small muscles that we're using on the horse. And because the aids we're giving are invisible, we need to be able to shift our inside hip forward and the horse responds to it in a certain way. You don't see it from the outside, but it's within a very, very small movement from our pelvis or from our seat or from our upper Mm -hmm. body or it's very, very, very minute. So we need to be really in tune with our bodies. Also strong, and we need to be able to keep our core together. You have to keep a nice frame when you're riding. So yeah, it's important for us to be to be fit. And so that's that's my other priority. So it's keeping the horses fit and us fit and finding enough time in the day to do all of this. <laughs> and run a household and bring up two kids and school runs. And no, oh, I love it. <laughs> It's a lot. <laughs> yeah, it is a lot. But uh, just strength training, I think both Dawn and I have been hitting the gym quite a bit mm-hmm. at this point, because obviously even in our sport, like cross training is, is so important. Mm. But also just adding to that, like cross training, of course, but like you, you mentioned that your husband was part of the uh, 2010 Asian Games. Yeah. Correct me if I'm wrong, he did win a silver there. He did, yeah. He got silver for the team. It was amazing. So I had big shoes to fill going there. So, you know... (laughs) (laughs) No pressure. So when because we're talking about cross-training, is there any crossover in terms of learnings from him as well, from his discipline to yours? From the show jumping to dressage. I mean, we're very different disciplines, but the basics, the foundation of jumping is also dressage. 
So they call it flat work rather than dressage. So they're just working the horse on the flat. They're not always, they don't jump their horses every day. So they have to do what we do also. They have to train for flexibility, for strength, for stamina, to keep the horses fit and active and feeling good in their body. Then they can jump. So I do ride his show jumping horses because I can work them a little bit more. I don't want to say it more effectively, but I have more tools in my in my shed <laughs> for, you know, I have more tricks. Um, so I know how to, I know how to uh, get a little bit, I can, I can help the horses a little bit more. So yeah, I do ride, I do ride his horses and he can also take my horses out and have a bit more fun with them and show them not the white dressage boards, you know, sort of go out and see the world. And we do jump our horses as well. Um, so there's a little bit of a crossover in terms of that, but it's nice that we're not on top of each other all the time and we're in the same sport, but we're in very different disciplines. So yeah, it's good. <laughs> you spoke about like having a family and like kids and, and all yeah. of the running around that you do outside of your sport. Yeah. But you come back to your horses because they're therapy for you at the yeah. end of the day. And, yeah. and it's the joy that they bring you that also keeps you in the sport. Yeah. In some interviews in the past, you have mentioned that you did go through a tough time when yeah. your husband was battling cancer. Yeah. And the horses were what you turned to, to kind of bring you, keep you rooted and grounded. What about them is so therapeutic for you? Well, I, I think it's our soul's connection and our energy. I mean, they're like my best friends. So it's like going and sitting and having a cup of tea with your friends other than I'm not speaking to them. I'm just feeling that um, the energy from them. They can also feel if you're having a bad day. They can feel if you're sad. They can feel if you need that extra. I mean, I'm so in tune with them all that I can trust them. Even with my babies, for example, I can push the pram into the stable and the, the female horses sort of nudge the prams. And they're so in, mm. in touch with mm. us. But when Rashid got diagnosed, we upped and left on a plane. So I was away from my horses for the first three months of his treatment. We were in London. I had my nine-month-old daughter and my two-and-a-half-year-old daughter. So we were totally taken out of our routine we had nothing. All we knew for three months was just then hospitals. I really struggled. I, that, that was, I think, the most difficult time of my life because I didn't have anything to keep me grounded and anything to keep me rooted. And I, I had nothing, none of my, nothing that kept me, uh, me. I was completely, yeah, I was mm -hmm. in a whirlwind. Um, from the first time it was ever mentioned by the doctor, I was just in a complete tailspin. And I just knew I needed to keep everyone alive and together and just get us through it. But I didn't have what kept me strong. Um, so that was really difficult. And mm. I do think it, it sucked a lot out of me. It was very difficult. I didn't sleep. It was tough. But my priority was my kids and my husband. So I took a backseat. That's my mm. natural, that's my personality anyway. I'll always come last to, to everyone else in my life. So then we got through that and we, we came back after three months of the treatment and he continued intensive treatment here. But I was able to go to the horses. So although he was still going through his treatment and I, I still had the kids and I still had to keep our routine and, and keep everything going with the nurses and the hospitals and the doctor's appointments and everything, I was able to go back to the stables. So I was, even if it was just that one or mm. two hours where I could just go and feed my soul again and just get me back. And it gave me so much strength to give to everyone else because you can't water someone else's plant if, you're, if, you've, got, if you've got nothing yourself, you know? So I had to go and recharge my batteries and my soul to then be able to keep them going. 
so yeah, that was that was really important for me to to get back to the horses. And then Rashid started riding mm. that following season, and he got back to it, and it helped him as well. Although he was very weak in his body, it gives you it gives you some mental strength to get back to to what we what we love mm. doing. And it's I think it just shows how important they are to us, really. Yeah, you started representing the UAE in the sport only three years ago, yeah. if we're not mistaken. Talk us through how that came to be and yeah. what was your first international competition as well? Yeah, I mean, we um, we do every year one international we have here in the UAE. So I've been doing that for mm. about five years now. And then um, when I had my horses then, I trained them up to the international level. So we start at something called small tour, which is what I did in, in the Asian Games. So when I got my, my horses at that time up to that level, we, we sort of decided like now is now's time we can, we're at a good enough level that we can compete in Europe. Because as I said, it's very competitive there. The riders are top. I mean, you can go there mm-hmm. in a field of 40 riders and just feel like this big. <laughs> so I went, um, I started training with Morgan a couple of years ago. And then we, we started taking the horses over in the summer um, when Rashid was a bit more stable in his treatments. So I think last year was actually my first full summer season with the horses in Europe. I went over, I lived in Geneva mm. and we just traveled around and it's just amazing. It's amazing to be able to go on that journey with the horses and take them somewhere half, half the world away. And yeah, it's, um, I feel really, really blessed to be able to do it. And I feel like I've maybe been given a platform to be able to compete for a, a, a nation because in the UK, there's so mm-hmm. many so many riders and we're because we're a bit of a smaller market here we don't have as many riders so i feel very lucky to be able to have um it's sort of shortened my journey to that level without actually cutting any corners because i still have to do all of the work mm-hmm. but it, it has given me it's a, been a stepping stone to be able to compete at that level for our country mm-hmm. so yeah Mm-hmm. So just by virtue of you entering the competitions, really, you're representing the UAE. I'm like, is there like a governing body that yeah. kind of says, yes, yeah. you yeah. you are representing the UAE? <laughs> we, do. we do. We have a National Olympic Committee. We have a federation. We have everything. So yeah, I mean, the first time we actually had an official team was this year for the Asians. The rest oh, nice. of the time, when you compete in an international, you are representing your country. So Ever since I've been competing in internationals, I've been representing the UAE. But as a team, the Asians was the first time we had an official team, which was just amazing. I'm so I'm so grateful to have been part of it and sort of we made history. And yeah, it was really a moment to be proud of. Yeah. How many were part of this team that went to the Asian Games? There were four of us. Four. Yeah. Four for the dressage. So that and then we had my another. next question. Because- okay. oh. Right. Four for the jumping as well. So we, there were eight uh, so, riders in total. Okay. Yeah. Okay, perfect. So that brings me to my next question because I just want to understand, are there a lot of dressage riders here in the UAE that you can look up to for inspiration or any idols that you've seen here or just globally as well that you can go like, oh, yeah. okay, I've, I've learned a lot the, from this person. The scene is growing here more. Um, it's still not um, mm-hmm. the biggest, but I mean, each year we're seeing more riders coming through, more young riders as well going up through the levels. 
when I first started riding, there were a couple of riders um, riding at, at higher levels that definitely gave me aspiration to get there. But for the past few years, it's only been myself and another few riders riding at the at the higher levels. So now this season, we've had some top riders coming in, which has been really nice, but I'm actually not competing so much this season, having some quiet time with the family after after China. So yeah, I mean, internationally for sure there's um the the riders that i looked look up to they're amazing and i hope one day just to be able to compete in the same ring as them and that's something that's also been amazing is when i go to these big competitions in europe i'm riding with with my uh <laughs> a sort of uh idols and people that i look up to i'm suddenly in the same warm-up as them mm. and i'm like oh my gosh i'm here <laughs> you have to sort of pinch yourself but then you think no i've put in all of this work and i deserve to be here so <laughs> yeah Mm, absolutely. With the the Asian Games, actually, talk us through. I guess what what were your expectations going into it, and talk us through in more detail what the experience was like. I'm very, <laughs> you know, you said it was amazing. I can just imagine getting there, yeah. getting the horses all sorted, getting into a routine. What was it yeah. like? I mean, expectation wise, I had none because we are riding horses, and um, you have you can't you can't predict how it's going to go. I mean, you can have a perfect day or you can have a catastrophic day. You really, it's only so much within your hands. Obviously, we need to learn how to control certain things. But expectation wise, I had I really had none. I mean. It was amazing. We were going with a team and just to have got there and the whole experience. I mean, we went into quarantine all together in a place called Aachen in Germany, which in itself is one of the most famous stadiums in the entire world for equestrians. So the fact that I was there. I've for, been there. Have you? <laughs> <laughs> but I was there. I was riding in there. Yeah, Aachen on a bike. It, oh, there we go. Yeah, I was yeah, in there with my teammate Mohammed, and we were just looking up at the, at the stadium. We were like, oh my God, we're here. We made it. <laughs> So just the whole experience. And I mean, again, it was a huge learning curve, the protocols and the paperwork and what we needed to do. And we were dealing then with the Chinese government. And it was a lot. It was a lot. I mean, I remember the stress levels going into quarantine and everything you took in, you weren't allowed to take anything else in additionally. So you had to make sure I had my checklist and I went through it about a thousand times to make sure I had everything because then their horses had their quarantine there, then the flight to China, and then we needed everything for China. So it was a lot. And I'd, um, I just finished a very busy summer season. I've been dragging my kids around to every competition around Europe. So they were just about had enough. They were like, I don't want any more competitions, mummy. Um, they're very patient. With this <laughs> lesson. <laughs> um, so yeah, I was sort of dealing with that. And then we were packing to leave Europe. We'd been there for three months. So I had my whole family with me. And then all of my other horses as well. I, I wasn't just dealing with one horse that I was taking. To, I couldn't just stop riding all of the others and stop training. So we just had a lot going on. It was a very busy time. So it was a bit of a blur, to be honest, going into, into quarantine. And But again, I just had to stop myself each day and just be like, enjoy it, Natalie. Like you're here. You did it. All the work you've put in leading up to this yeah. point has got you here. Enjoy it. There's not that much we could do different now anyway. I mean, you can't change the, the training for the past year. So let's just enjoy it. So yeah, I mean, quarantine was an amazing experience in itself. And then it was a 20 something hour flight for the horses from Belgium to China. Oh, wow. So that was huge for them. So then there was the medical things that we had to do for the horses to make sure they didn't get dehydrated on the flight. And so th there was a lot, there was a lot to plan for that. My groom, Sajad, he was flying on the, on the flight with the horses, which was really nice because he could stay, he could eyes on the horses and he knew exactly what they needed. And 
He flew with all of the team's horses. And then I stopped back in Dubai. They were in the air already. I came back via Dubai to get my kids settled into school and then repacked my bags. And then I went straight to China. So yeah, we flew into Shanghai and then it was another four-hour drive to a place called Tonglu, which is a very rural area in, um, in China. And then we got to the facility, which was incredible. They'd purpose-built it. So it was, the Asian Games was delayed a year, I guess, because of COVID and everything. So they'd purpose-built this venue, which was just amazing. I mean, the stables, everything, everything, everything. The stables, the arenas, the setup, the, the stadium, it was just incredible, all of it. Um, they really, they, they did an amazing, amazing job. So we were about an hour away from Hangzhou, which is the uh, venue for the Asian Games, was the hosting city. Mm. So we went for the opening ceremony, which was the most breathtaking thing I think I've ever, I've ever done. It still gives me chills when I think about it. We walked through the, the stadium, which I think had 80,000 people watching. It was, the atmosphere wow. was electric. It was just incredible. I'm not sure the president or the king of China, I think president, he was there as well in this big, um, yeah, in this big box. And it was just amazing, amazing, amazing. I walked in, I looked at Mohammed. I was like, I'm going to cry, I'm going to cry. He's like, no, no, we're good. <laughs> we had our flags and we were waving. And oh no, it was just, it, it was, that was the moment I think I felt the most proud. Um, I was with, I think there were about 50 of us that had, um, that had made it for the opening ceremony from everyone from the UAE that was representing, which I think was about 135, 140 this year, which was amazing across all disciplines, sports. And so, yeah, we were there, the people who'd made it for the opening. So obviously people were arriving later or didn't make it. So, yeah, I just felt really part of the team. And it was that moment I just thought, wow, we're here, we're representing our country and all of these eyes are on us. <laughs> and this is our moment. This is our moment to shine and everything we've done has got us here. So, yeah, it was a really, really proud moment for me. And now you have your sights set on the Olympics. Yes. 2028. Yeah. In yeah. LA. Yeah. What does it take to qualify uh, yeah, in so dressage it's, it's for point, the Olympics. It's a point system. It's quite diff it's it's difficult. It's complicated. Um, it's not easy. You don't just you can't just buy your seat and get there. So it takes a lot mm. of planning and preparation because you have to attend certain competitions. You have to get certain scores and points. And so I need to sit down with my trainer <laughs> and work out what I need to do because you can't leave it last minute. Uh, it's something you need to plan years mm. in advance. So for sure, it's going to mm. be something I think next summer, we're just going to sit down and make our plan exactly where I need to be, what I need to be doing. And yeah, it's, it's, it's a complicated process. But again, if I can get there, it would just be a complete dream come true. I mean, yeah, it just, just the thought about it. I'm not competing at the level that you need to be at for the Olympics yet. So I've still got another two levels to go. But yeah, I'm going to keep my eyes on the prize and keep it there. Um, and then if I manage to get there, it'll be amazing. If not, I'm not that old. I can get to the next one. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, you've got uh, time I'm, with this yeah, one. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Are there other riders, do you know, here who are aiming for the same? Or do you think you're the only so. one? I hope so. I hope my teammates like as well will be with me. Okay. I hope so. I don't want to go on my own. <laughs> but no, for sure. I mean, if, if we can keep going the way we're going and if we can keep the support of, of our committee behind us and we can keep proving to them that we're we're good. I mean it was it's not they're not they don't need to do it out of sympathy or pity for us. So we we are good and we're competitive and mm. and um we can we can make them proud and bring some results in. So I, I hope we've got a few years now to really prove ourselves and um go up through the levels and really yeah. So I hope they're coming with me. Yeah. <laughs> 
So working with animals, we talked about it before. Like I love the relationship between you as the rider and also the horse. And I guess it poses questions about the treatment of the animals as well. Like I moved here from Australia and I know it's different, but sometimes people will just see horse and sport and think similar. But I know there's questions around the Melbourne Cup every year and the safety for the horses and the riders as well. Yeah. How have you seen the adherence to standards for both horse safety and also rider safety here in the UAE and, and globally as well. Like talk yeah. us through kind of I mean, what attention is paid to those strict, aspects. Very, very strict regulations on the horses. Of course we need it because they're innocent animals and they don't have voices. So mm-hmm. we really need to have things in place to protect them and keep them safe. And also us as riders and same for any athletes, you have to go through the same anti-doping courses. And that yeah it's very very strict rules very strict i mean after each Mm. test you ride the horse gets checked over by a steward official they check all of the tack that's on the horse they check for in their mouth everything everything the horse is checked over if there's any fresh blood on any horse's immediate elimination even if it was an accident even if it tripped and just nicked itself on the leg or anything anything or if they bit their tongue which can sometimes Mm. happen anything anything there's zero zero tolerance Mm. for anything it can be devastating for riders Mm. because you can have the most innocent thing happen and it can just having Mm. the the negative press against it, it can be, it can be absolutely devastating for riders, but it's Mm. in the best interest of the horses. And I think everyone at, um, at the level that we're competing at, they understand that they, they understand that we have to have Mm -hmm. the horse's welfare as priority. And yeah, it's heavily governed as is all of the equestrian sports, but, um, yeah. I can only speak for dressage because that's that's what I do and what I know. But yeah, the horse welfare is top, top priority for everyone. Oh, that's good to hear. Yeah. How would you like to see the dressage scene evolve for athletes here in the UAE yeah. in the next and few years? We're, we're heading in the right direction. We've had um, a, a big increase in the past few years and each year we're getting more and more. So I think having a team... It's definitely inspiring for people as well because they, they've got somewhere else to go. You're not just capped to the nationals here, uh, which is just the winter season as well, which is unfortunate because our summers are so hot. Um, so everything sort of slows down mm. April, <laughs> May. Um, we can't do much until it starts cooling down again about now. But I think having us over in Europe and competing and them seeing that there's somewhere else to go on from here, I definitely think it's, it's giving people sort of inspiration and it's elevating their their dreams and aspirations. So I hope that we're part of that and we're aspiring the young riders and the riders coming through the levels and they can they can look up to us and hopefully they'll join us one day. It's amazing to see our country being represented in Europe. It's really, really, really nice. And we've got some some good riders with us as well. So it's good we get some good results and some recognition for all the work that we do. Amazing. Natalie, there's no way you could have achieved what you have in in these last three years going from the asian games and now kind of with your sights set on the olympics without the amount of grit that you've shown uh would you say that this is innate or something that you've had to kind of train yourself into and learn along i think it's innate i think um i was born with with it a little bit but definitely it's something that you hone your skills on and i think the closer you get to your dreams the harder you work because it becomes more real. I guess as um, children or lower level riders, it feels far away. So it feels slightly unattainable. But the mm. closer you get there, you're thinking, 
I can do it and I'm actually okay at it. And we're actually doing well. So it sort of spurs you on to go to the next level and to develop and to sort of push yourself a bit more. So it's probably, I think it's in me naturally, but it is something that you develop as you go through the levels and you get closer and closer and closer and it just keeps spurring you on. Also, now I've got my, my daughters and I want to be an aspiration to them and I want them to see that they can grow up and do anything that they want to do and put their minds to. And especially in our sport. So I think we're one of the only Olympic sports where male and female compete the same. We're in the same class. It's not separated. Mm. So that's also, I've got two girls. So for me, it's, it's amazing to show them that we can compete fairly across the board with everyone. We're not separated. So yeah, I just hope that I can be an aspiration to people and um, just show them that it can be done with work and hard work and determination. And yeah. Yeah. I mean, we'll be following along now to watch your journey to the Olympics in 2028. And it's been really enlightening. Like I didn't know much about this sport at all, other than it's beautiful. (laughs) And so thank you very much for joining us. Is there anything you would like that we didn't cover to say to our audience about the sport or about you or anything? I think we managed to cover cover most things. I mean, um, yeah, (laughs) thank you guys for showing so much interest. And um, yeah, it's really, really nice to sort of share our story a little bit more and um, hopefully shed a little bit more light on on our discipline. And yeah, hope to see more people coming through. And yeah, thank you very much for having me on. Wonderful. Thank Thank you. you. I mean, like Dawn said, it's such a beautiful sport to watch. And it's wonderful that UAE, like you said, is now being out there on yeah. the international scene with riders like yourself. So uh, thank you so much for joining us and discussing all of that with thank us. You. Thank, thank you. Thank you very much for having me. Thank you so much for listening today. We hope you enjoyed this episode. And if you did, we ask that you please share it with family, teammates, friends, and even frenemies, or share via social media. Please also leave us a review wherever you're listening to this podcast. Five stars only. And visit us on themetalset.com for more stories and resources. Thanks again for listening. Your support means the world to us. This is The Metal Set.